Okay, the book of Acts, the book of Acts, and we'll be picking up in chapter 4, verse 1. Give you a second to get there, but let's go back and recap just a couple of things. So Peter has just on the uh, backside of Pentecost has begun preaching. Then Peter and John have gone into the temple, and God in his infinite wisdom, has chosen a man that everyone knew to display his glory. What happened is they're passing by, there's a man that they saw at the beautiful gate all the time where everybody would be passing through to go to the temple to pray. And as they pass by, the Holy Spirit moves upon their hearts and reveals to them that he is getting ready to heal this man. Why is he going to do that? Just so the man can be whole. Yes, God wants him to, you know, to bless him. Yeah, that's, that's true. But that's not the miracle. The miracle is, is that God is displaying his glory. He is revealing Christ Jesus. In other words, this man will not be made whole just because a holy man walks by. This man will be healed because Jesus Christ is in his church he is in his people. The Holy Spirit that was promised to his church is now indwelling the believer. And as they're walking by, the Holy Spirit says, I'm getting ready to do this. So what do they do? They pray for the man. And if you remember, they don't simply just say, silver and gold have I none, okay? But such as I have, I give thee. What I do have, I'm going to give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So nobody could question. There were a lot of people named Jesus. But so nobody could question who this Jesus was. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, okay, the Son of God, rise up and walk. And rather than just sitting there saying, okay, you need to get up, they reached down and snatched this guy off the ground. Now, I probably shouldn't pause there, but I am going to show you a little historical content here just for grins and giggles and you Bible scholars who like to uh, know these little nuggets of truth. Years and years ago at the Vatican, whenever Thomas Aquinas, who is one of the greatest theologians as far as I'm concerned that has ever walked on the earth, uh, from which even Baptist theology, we draw a lot from Thomas Aquinas, but the story goes that the church in a time of great prosperity and great wealth at the time, the Catholic church that is, it says that the Holy Father, as they call him, the Pope, had spoken and said to Thomas Aquinas and said, you know, T Thomas Aquinas or, or, or Tom, he says to him, we no longer have to say silver and gold have I none. He said, that is correct, Holy Father, but now neither can we say in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Think about that for a minute. And all of our prosperity and all of our wanting to get and gain we lost sight of Jesus. And without Jesus, there is no miracle. There is no life. See, we need Jesus. The other things of this world, yes, we need to survive. We need to function. We need to do those things. But people without Jesus, nothing that the world has to offer really means anything. But as long as you got Jesus, it gives meaning to everything. So, Peter's there. They snatch him up off the ground. Immediately, the Bible says, he receives strength within his legs, and he is walking, leaping, 
cleaving to, to Peter and John as they go through the temple, okay? He won't let them go. Now, we talked about as well, having never walked before in his life, and we're actually going to see how long he was in this condition. I think it was like 40 years or something like that from birth. He had never walked. But notice the miracle that this man now not only knows how to walk, but he can leap. You know, you think about it, we talked about it last week, if a person is healed who is mute or never spoken before, okay? And then their tongue's open and now they're all of a sudden speaking whatever language that they live in. Uh, people, that's amazing. That, 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 you know, we call it a miracle, but think about it. That's several miracles, not only being able to speak, but then knowing your language perfectly. Being able to walk full strength through your leg, you've got balance, you've got all of that. When God put it together, he put it together right, okay? So he brings this man up, and the man's holding on to him, and he won't let him go. And what has happened is now the miracle has taken place, and everybody comes together. Here is where we miss it sometimes as Christians and sometimes as pastors and sometimes as churches. They come together and they're mesmerized and they're looking at this man made whole and they're praising God, but then they begin to look at Peter and John. You know, whoa, these must be really, really holy people, amazing people that they have powers, you know, to be able to heal or to do this. And rather than taking credit for it, rather than acting like there's some super special, amazing class of people above any other human being on earth. I've got news for you. The Bible says Elijah himself was a man with like passions just like we do. Okay? We fail. We make mistakes. Even the apostles. We have more of their lives than probably anybody else. And we can even see how they're human beings. Albeit human beings that were moved on by God and dwelt by the Spirit and empowered by God to do some amazing things. But so immediately, rather than taking credit like a lot of people would and have people look at them, and I, I don't want to go there, I'm trying to be good, but, you know, then being on television, explaining everybody how, you know, blessed and anointed we are, and then telling everybody, if you do it our way, you too can do this. I'm sorry, that, that burns me up. It's not their power. It's not our power. It's his power. It's the Holy Spirit. And it's time to start pointing at ourselves and pointing at other people and start pointing to God. Start pointing to Jesus. It's where it came from. So, but what does Peter do? He says, people, stop, 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 stop. Don't look at this situation as if, you know, we did this. It was us that did this by our holiness or by our power. He said, I'll explain it to you right now what's happened. It is the name of Jesus Christ through faith in his name that this man has been made whole. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. This is power, people. This is not simply, now I understand spiritually there's a lot of things that are going on, but think about it for a minute. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is so awesome. He is God Almighty that the mention of his name, just his name, is enough to make people whole. Just his name is enough to cast out demons. Think about it, people. We're not saying that Jesus has to physically be standing there in front of you. His name alone carries all authority in heaven and earth. His name. That's the Son of God. 
He died for our sins. He was resurrected from the get- dead. He has the keys of death and hell. I mean, in the grave, in the palm of his hands. All authority, he said. Jesus Christ speaking. He said, all hell, look at me. He said, all authority. That, 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 that means every bit of it. All the authority of God, he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. In the entire universe, my Father has given me all authority. I can give eternal life to whomever I want to. I can forgive the sins of whomever I want to. I can make whole and set free anybody I want to. All authority is mine in heaven and earth. Now you go and make disciples, and I will be with you. You catch that? You go, I'll be with you. It's very simpler, not simpler, uh, very similar to Moses. Moses is standing there saying, I can't do this. God says, I got you. I can't do this. Moses, I'm with you. I'll help you. I can't do this. Moses, I will be with you. I will put my words in your mouth. You will do what I say. I've got this. It's my authority that you're going in. But God, you don't understand. I can't speak. And God burns with anger and looks at him and says, Moses, who created the man's mouth? Who made the mute? Who made the deaf? Who did it? I've done it. You need to stop doubting and you need to start listening to me. I'll go with you. Well, Jesus said, I'll be with you. Lo, I'm with you always, even until the end. I will never leave you. Doubt is the enemy of faith. The enemy wants us just a little bit. Yeah, I'm far afield, but it's good. Well, this is extra, okay? But just follow me here. If the enemy can get you to believe a lie, we've talked about this before, the enemy, Satan, his, his, his game is not the big boo, the big scare, the big jump out, the big in your face. No, the enemy is a liar. And if he can get you to believe a lie, if he can get you to doubt God's word, then our faith, it just seems to want to crumble. Well, will God do this? Will God be there? Will God help me? Okay, same thing in the Garden of Eden. What did God tell you about these trees? God says, we eat of that tree right there, we're dead. Oh, whoa, 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 don't get crazy or anything. You know, no, 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 no. If you eat that tree, you're not going to die. Yes, God said you will die. And ever since that day, every single one of us human beings has a day. And unless the Lord returns early, then we're going to pass away. But here's the deal. If you believe God, Just believe his word. God says, I am with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. It doesn't matter where you are, where you find yourself, how dark, how dingy, how despairing it may be. God is with you. If you are his, he is yours, okay? He will always be with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. People say, well, I've been through some hard times. Yeah, Job did too. Jesus Christ did too. All the apostles went through some really, really dark times. But I got news for you. When Jesus was on the cross, his father had not forsaken him. Now, and we'll discuss that theology one day too. So, God is with us, trusting and believing. And so what Peter does is he says, it's not by my own authority. He says, it's the name, the name of Jesus by faith in his name, 
that this man has been made whole in front of you. And then whenever they look and they realize it, he, he begins to preach. He tells them, look, I need to explain something to you. You took the Son of God. You denied him. You had a mock trial. You lied about him. And the next thing you know, you end up torturing, abusing him, and you crucified him, nailed him to a tree, and you killed him. But God, like they were talking about, but God. I like that when recovery soldiers were here. But God raised him from the dead, has seated him at his right hand until all enemies are made his footstool. So then he begins preaching about Jesus. He says, I know that you did it in ignorance. Like Jesus said, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. But I know that you did it in ignorance, but you need to understand that this same Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father. He is the prophet like Moses that has been prophesied about that all people will put their faith in and listen to him in all things. And he, then he finally says, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, has sent him to bless you and turning away each one of you from your sins. So he has preached this to them. But now let's see what happens after this preaching has taken place. Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 1. God bless the reading of his word. It says, now as they, the apostles, spoke to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. This is interesting because you don't see scribes and Pharisees here. You see Sadducees. Sadducees were priests, okay? Most all of them were priests. And they come in and they want to know, who are these people? Because obviously they're there at the temple, and they come and they want to know why is this big commotion going on. And whenever they get there, what they find out is the man that everybody knew, they knew well, has been healed. And he's walking around and he's cleaving to Peter and John. And Peter and John have only one thing to say. Jesus did this. The one that was crucified, you ready for this, is alive. That's their message. He is alive. He's not dead. He's not in the tomb. He's been resurrected from the dead. And this is proof he's here living in us saving this man from from the life that he was in but bringing him into a relationship with himself you are seeing christ's power by the holy spirit working through his church jesus is alive and well okay so they come together to hear this two it says being greatly disturbed this is why they came together being greatly disturbed that they taught you ready for this this, these are the little glimpses in Scripture where you see what the early church was doing. Catch this. They were greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. That's a unique doctrine to us. It's not that people live after they die. It's that people one day will be resurrected. Your body resurrected. So where would they get this doctrine? First and foremost, in Christ. Jesus Christ is alive. He is resurrected. Well, now you got a problem. Here's the problem. That troublemaker, as they called him, Jesus Christ, they thought they were done with him. You kill him, you get rid of him, and it's all over, right? Well, the problem is, is that he's alive and well, and not only is he alive and well, it's not just a short story, but hundreds of people saw him alive. And whenever he was resurrected and ascended in heaven, there were probably more than that. 
But the point is, is that all of these people are witnessing and saying, we saw him alive, not to mention Roman soldiers. So not just people of the Nazarene, but people that didn't care anything about it. So they're preaching this resurrection from the dead. Now look at verse 3. It says, So they laid their hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Okay? So we don't want to deal with this tonight. So we'll just put them in custody. We'll try to shake them up a little bit because after all, they felt like they were in charge, right? Not at all. Verse 4, However, many of those who heard the word believed. And the number of men came to about 5,000. Well, on Pentecost, we had 3,000. And so now we're seeing that this miracle that took place in the temple, the people came together. And just at the preaching of Peter that day, as John and Peter were ministering, we've got another 5,000 that are believing. Because it's, it's a miracle. It's in your face type of miracle. Everybody knew. It's kind of like living in a community of about two or 300 people. If something happens in that community... You've heard about it, right? Well, everybody that came to the temple every single day, be it whatever time of year, they saw this man. All right, verse 5, it says, And it came to pass on the next day, so here comes the next day when they want to examine them, that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as, take a look at these names, are popping back up again. This is the high priest household, okay? So it says, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, we saw these people with Jesus, John and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. Having been the high priest, they kind of had their little, I don't want to just say, let's just say they were revered by the people and they kept their power very tight. So verse 7. And when they had set Peter and John, okay, when they had set them in the midst, they asked, are you ready for this? By what power or by what name have you done this? Okay. I understand that they are giving a, a testimony. In other words, this is kind of a trial in a way. They're giving this testimony. But if you have ever wanted to share your faith and somebody looks at you and says, okay, Explain yourself. How did this happen and by whose name? Oh, okay, yeah. And it'd be like, is the mic on? Because y'all going to get an earful. So let's get ready. Verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the key. Filled with God's Spirit. You remember how Jesus said you will be brought before magistrates and rulers? And he said, in that hour, do not worry about what you will say. For in that hour, it will be given to you. For it will not be you who's speaking, but my Father, the Spirit that is speaking through you. <coughs> Excuse me. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to this helpless man. In other words, we ain't done anything wrong, but if you, you're going to judge on it, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you and all. Peter, you can see the power of God on him. Everybody, listen up. Let it be known to you and all. 
and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, at this point, everybody's getting a little concerned, especially the Sadducees, because they have identified the very one that they murdered. Let it be known to you that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. In other words, it's out of your hand. You tried to kill him, God raised or you killed him, and God raised him from the dead. By him, this man stands before you whole. This is my testimony. Jesus Christ has done all of this. Not me, not my authority, but Jesus Christ. His name has made this man whole. The very one you crucified, God raised from the dead. And now he's doing this. He's in this church. Okay? So then he explains to him. He quotes scripture. He says, the stone which was rejected, or the stone that the builders rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. As the scripture said, the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. The stone that they discarded, the one that they didn't want, has become that stone upon which everything else is, I guess you would say, made right, made square, made where it's supposed to be. So let's take a looky here. Has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there, now, now, if you want to hear a, a straightforward, I'm, I'm talking about in-your-face message, think about it. The stone which builders rejected, you builders rejected, uh, has become the chief cornerstone. And then he says, nor is there salvation in, in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, people say we, we need to be careful because we don't want to offend and we don't want to hurt. People, this isn't offensive and this isn't hurting. He's looking at people who know. They know the scriptures. They know very, very well. And he's telling them right now, you intended to kill him. God raised him from the dead. This was God's plan. And God gave his spirit. And by the name of Jesus, through Jesus Christ himself, this man stands whole before you. And understand this. You might have rejected him. But this one that you rejected is the chief cornerstone. He is the one. He is the master. He is our Savior. And they said, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There is not salvation in any other. If you want salvation, it is through Christ alone. So he proclaims this to, you, to them. So through Jesus, they must be saved. Now, notice this. Most people would be cowering at this moment because they've got the temple guard. They know that they can be scourged. They know that a lot of things could happen to them at this moment by being disruptive. But Peter's not apologizing, nor should anybody else. Peter's telling them straight up, this is Jesus. If you've got a problem with that, you need to take it up with him. Verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, okay? These people were fishermen. That's not to say that they wouldn't have a certain understanding of Scripture. They would. Having grown up in a Jewish household, they would know certain things. They would know the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, okay, the law. They would know those things. But as far as being educated, 
as far as having any kind of formal training, they probably didn't have that. And yet at the same time, you see them speak with great articulation and you see them speaking with power and authority. Why is that? Well, you're about to see. So they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men and they marveled, catch this, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Being with Jesus has transformed them. They realize that these are just not your average, everyday people. These are his disciples. These are his apostles. They've been with Jesus. So what do you do? Well, we got a problem. How, how do you deal with this situation? I mean, I think that they should have learned that, that killing them isn't going to do a bit of good. The only thing that does is cause the church to multiply. And we've talked about this before. It's often been said that the blood of the martyrs are the seeds of the church or seeds of revival. Point is, the more you try to persecute the church, the more it grows. And we've talked about this one before. It's a famous quote. Uh, a fellow once said, he said, Christians are like tea bags. He said, you find their strength when you put them in hot water. You take Christians and you begin to squeeze them and you begin to persecute them, watch out. Spirit of God will rise up within them and it's like fire being spread all over the earth. All right, where are we real quick? Okay, 6.14. So they realized that they had been with Jesus. Verse 14, and seeing the man who had been healed standing with him, they could not say anything against it. What are you going to say? You can't say it's not true. You can't say nobody was healed. They see it. Verse 15, but when they had commanded them, you ready for this? They commanded them to go outside, go out of the council, and then they would confer among themselves. So then they said to each other, what shall we do to these men? For indeed, a notable miracle has been done through them. That is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. Do you not see a problem here? I want you to think about this for a minute. What's the problem? If you and I had witnessed a miracle done in the name of Jesus for his glory, we saw the power of God break into our time and space and transform a situation. And a person gives all the glory to God, points it right there to Jesus, and we know that we know that we know that Jesus Christ has done it. Here's the problem. Why would we try to deny that? Why would we try to tear it away? People will begin to say, well, well, obviously they can't support it because they just killed the Son of God. Stop. There comes a point in which you have to stop the madness. There comes a point where somebody has to say, wait a minute, why are we fighting this? What has this person done? When, when, when do we, we check in and we say, wait a minute, rather than fighting this, why don't I start bowing before Christ? Why don't I recognize that God has given me mercy? Say, we see a miracle, but you also understand that miracle isn't just so people can shout and clap and do all this. The miracle was so that people could be saved and recognize that Jesus was alive and well. So this is an opportunity for them to turn from sin and self and to turn to God. But they don't do that. They say, well, look, how do we get around this? You know, what they wanted to do was beat them senseless or possibly even kill them. That's what they wanted to do. 
But it's kind of hard to go out there and say, uh, I'm sorry, uh, I know your family member was healed. We, we understand that Jesus did this, but we don't like the fact that these people are teaching Jesus because after all, we killed him. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take these people and, and just beat them mercilessly. It's not going to work. The people are going to revolt. But then again, remember, that's the only thing the scribes and Pharisees worried about, and evidently the Sadducees. They worried about the opinion of men more than they worried about the approval of God. So. Jesus was talking about this morning. So anyway, they go outside, they confer among themselves, notable miracle has been taking place and it's evident to all in Jerusalem, we can't deny it. Verse 17, but so that it spreads no further. Why? You know, we got to contain this. We can't get get the word out that Jesus Christ is saving folks. We can't get the word out there that Jesus Christ is alive and well. This is ridiculous. So what they do is they don't want to get among the people. So they said, let us severely threaten them. We're going to severely threaten them. From now on, they should speak no more in this name. Now, people, saints, this is a scary thought. We do live in a country that has religious liberties and freedom, at least at this time, and I believe that that this is one of those mountains that we die on as far as religious liberty. Because if we don't have religious freedom, then you certainly do not have freedom of speech. They both die on each other. But imagine the people who ruled looking at you and telling you, you cannot speak in the name of Jesus. You speak in the name of Jesus, you're imprisoned, you're beaten, you're possibly killed. You cannot speak in the name of Jesus. The second you do that, people, I have no choice. Now, I don't know what I would do in that situation because I'm not in that situation, but I hope I would do this. I'd look at them and say, well, then you better get to killing because the next words out of my mouth are this, Jesus Christ is Lord and I'm preaching in his name. All right. Let's severely threaten them that from now on they should speak no more in this name. Verse 18. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. Can't do it anymore, right? Yeah, good, good, good luck. Verse 19. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. Now think about this, putting it right back on them. And I know it's self-explanatory what is said there, but think about it. They look at him and said, okay, wait, hold on a minute. Should we listen to you rather than God? Should we obey you more than we obey God? Uh, I think you, you need to think on that one for a minute. You judge. Which one do you think we're going to do? You claim that you speak in his name. Now, people, I'm not trying to be arrogant here. I'm just telling the truth from the context. They claimed to speak in his name. Peter and John did speak in his name. Okay, he says, to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. In other words, they're saying we're witnesses to this. This isn't secondhand knowledge. We've seen it, and so we speak. Verse 21, and when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them. And believe me, they were trying to. 
punished them because of the people. They couldn't do anything to them since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom the miracle of healing had been performed. 40 years from birth. So he's, 40, he's over 40 years old. He had not been able to walk and now he's jumping and leaping and praising God. Okay, just a couple more minutes. Okay, so they're let go now. So what happens? And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, the people that is, they raised their voice to God. What do they do? They turn to Jesus. They, they turn back to God and they pray. They pray. That's their response. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord. Now you're also, by the way, hearing a prayer in the early church. Interesting to take note. Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and all of, uh, in the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David said this, why do the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. In other words, the world, these rulers have tried to stand against God and against Jesus Christ is anointed for truly against your holy servant. They're explaining this for truly against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. That's what the word Christ means. Anointed one whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. So it was God's plan. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. Now look at what they say. Grant us boldness to speak your word by doing what? By stretching out your hand to heal that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. So think about that. They get together, they pray. You know, Lord, here we are. These people are standing against you just like they stood against Christ and they crucified him. Now they're standing again. The nations have turned against you. But he says it was against Jesus Christ that they did this. All of these rulers, they may have stood against him. But you raised him from the dead. So they said, Lord, now look upon their threats. Look at what they're saying. And Lord, what we ask you to do is now stretch out your hand through the name of Jesus Christ, your son, perform signs, wonders, and miracles that the world may marvel. Let them see your power. And it says that as they were praying, the place where they were was shaken. What you see is this tangible evidence repeatedly and it's deliberately done saints in, in the early church people say well, why in the place shaking and shaking now well we should know that god's spirit is with us not to say that he can't he can shake it right now i hope we build as good as they do because it might not turn out so well but the point is simply this god is showing visibly tangibly to the church that god is with them when they pray whenever they seek his face and what they're praying for god is answering we're seeing the Holy Spirit being poured out time and time again. 
as a testimony and as a witness that God is with his church, especially in a time of great, great persecution. But remember, the whole narrative, what it's showing, is that Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, whom was crucified on that tree, was indeed resurrected that third day, has then given us his Holy Spirit. He has ascended to his Father, poured out the Holy Spirit upon his church. He is with us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Okay? And God is now moving through his church. Now I'll tell you this as a final testimony, maybe. Um, we often do not realize the power of God that is with us. And it is easy to get sidetracked with the things that we see, the effects of life, the pains of life, the struggles of life, the things that we go through, and the circumstances that surround us. It's easy to look at those things. But saints, the power of God is always with you. Let me rephrase. Jesus Christ is always with you. The Holy Spirit indwells you. Therefore, at any given moment, in any given place, wherever it may be, God can show up. He's already there, but he can tangibly show up. Let me give you a testimony. Just for, for and I want to be careful, I'm going to have to hide some of the things in here because you will probably think that I'm a spiritual weirdo and you would be correct, okay? Uh, if there's ever a shirt that, that I used to like as a kid, it said 100% genuine Jesus freak. I like it. People start and say, oh, are you one of them Jesus freaks? Hello? It's right there. Living color. Jesus freak here. Okay. One day I'm at the police department. The day's virtually over with. I'm getting ready to walk out the door. One of the rules of law enforcement, it should be this way. Not everybody does this. But it does not matter if I'm getting ready to walk out of the door or not. If somebody comes in and I'm on that clock, they get the same professionalism as the first person during that day. Yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Yes, sir, no, sir. You're attentive and you listen to them and you give them the best that you can. Do you want to do that sometimes? No, sometimes I just want to go to bed, okay? But you do it anyway. So here I go. I'm walking out the door. As I'm walking out the door, there's a lady who is standing at the door. And I look and I open the door and I said, ma'am, because, you know, it's after hours. And so I'm getting ready to go up. I said, ma'am, I said, can I help you? And she says, well, I, I need to talk to somebody for a few minutes. Come on in. Come on in. Did I want to talk to her? I'm being brutally honest. No, I didn't. I've worked over, I think it was 13, close to 14 hours, and I was ready to go home. But she deserves the time, right? Come on in. So she comes in, and she sits down, and I begin to talk to her. Cannot tell you what the call was about because I don't, I don't want to reveal all of that. But anyway, as I'm sitting there talking to her, my heart begins to break for her. I begin to look at this woman, and I'm seeing in her life not just the circumstances of what she's going through, but the sin that has led up to what is in her life. Now, even though I served as a law enforcement officer first, and I did, did have chaplaincy duties, and sometimes being a chaplain stuff, can I get a witness? Um, what that? I was about to say your wife, too. But anyway, so I'm talking to her, and I feel Jesus so strong, and I'm like, 
I really wish, you know, I could do something for her. I wish I could help her. I feel the Spirit of God moving. And, and the reason being is the more I see her, the call is going to the background, the reason why she was there, and the more I keep seeing Jesus. Now, I could have easily said, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am. Okay, here's your uh, number, okay? Your report number, you can come back and you can pick it up in two days if you'd like to. But as I'm listening to her, I just stop in the middle of it because I can hear the Holy Spirit in the background just doing this. I need to talk to this lady. I need to talk to her. Okay. And I said, ma'am, I know that you're here for law enforcement. I said, but after everything that you said, with your permission, I'd like for you to know that I am a chaplain, and can I speak freely to you about a couple of things? I, and she said, sure. And all I did was what I felt the Holy Spirit speaking in my heart, I shared with her. I said, I said, if it doesn't ring true with you, just chalk me up as a spiritual flake. I said, but I feel like the Holy Spirit is saying A, B, and C. I said it to her. Next thing I know, she starts bawling. And I look at her because I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit is plain as day said, pray for that woman. Pray for her now. I said, ma'am, I know this may sound strange considering the type of call that she was in there for. I said, but would you mind if I pray for you? She reached across the desk and grabbed my hand. And all I did was I got out Jesus. And whenever I did, the power of God hit that woman. I'm talking about like, pow. I mean, just hit her. You could feel it like electricity in the room as this woman is sobbing and she begins praising God in the office. It was almost just like the day of Pentecost. She starts, the next thing you know, she's, she's mumbling. Then the next thing you know, she's speaking Christ. The next thing you know, down the hall, people are hearing this woman glorify Jesus. That's what she's doing. She prays you, Jesus. Glory to God. And I'm thinking, I'm fired. That's what I'm thinking. I'm fired. I'm so fired about this, that, and the other. Do you know what? I gave her, her the number, the case number, and she looks at me and she says, I won't be needing that. I won't be needing that. And she leaves. People want to look up and they want to say this. Boy, isn't that a good police officer? Isn't that a good minister? Isn't that a... No. That's a good Jesus. That's a good Jesus. That was a divine appointment. I had no idea. I'm ready to go home. If I could have sidestepped her, if I could have gone, I would have done it. I was ready to go home. I was tired. I was beat. People were ugly to me that day. Called me all sorts of names. I'm not joking. And so I'm ready to go home. But God, but God chose her. Had me walk out to that door and see her. Because God's good. Because Jesus Christ loves people. And because it doesn't matter how dark it looks, Jesus is there shining in the darkness. All right, as the worship team is coming, we'll have just a moment for anybody that would like to pray. I don't want to deny anybody an opportunity for altar time, you and Jesus. And then uh, we'll, we'll, we'll dismiss. I'm sorry, I ran it right to the end. But then again, y'all are actually getting out early because I'm usually, what, 10, 15 minutes over? Can I get a witness?
Tonight, same thing. As they're singing, if God is moving upon your heart and you need special prayer for any reason, just step out and come down. I'll be happy to pray with you. The altar is open. If you just want to pray by yourself, you can stand kneel, pray. If I'm praying, somebody else will pray with you. But it's Jesus' time. You respond as God speaks to you. If you don't know Jesus, please don't, come, don't leave this place without him. And even if you're struggling in your relationship, let's talk. Respond as God speaks to you. If everyone would please stand. Draw me close to you Brother Jimmy's doing a lot of ministry. He's had some funerals, a lot of them. He's had a lot of ministry that he's been doing. And this next coming week's going to be extra tough. And so please, please be praying for him for the anointing of God's spirit as he ministers because he's got some, some tough folks that he's going to be talking to, but they're not too tough for Jesus. Okay, Brother, I anoint you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Father God, I ask you to bless him. I ask you to pour out your glory. Father, in the name of Jesus, we anoint him and we ask you, God, that the power of God would rest upon him. We ask you, Father, that the Spirit of God flow through him, God, and upon all those that he ministers to. Give him grace. Give him strength, Father. I pray that he shines as a bright light as he glorifies Jesus Christ. Father, may your light and love never shine any brighter than it. God, just brighter than it ever has before. Rest upon him, God. Give him strength. Give him grace. And I pray, Father, that all those that hear, that they would have ears to hear what God would say. Oh, Father God, may there be a harvest. May people come to know you, truly know you. In Jesus' name, fill him, God, and send him in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, in that case, the Lord bless you, keep you, and I pray, I pray this week that you just have every opportunity to shine for him. God bless you. You're dismissed.